Thanks for being here this morning at Outward Church and being a part of uh, uh, the body this morning. Um, I'm always encouraged, especially on nice days when there's people in the pew. So way to go. That's, that's, uh, that's very cool. We're in uh, the book of uh, Philippians. Uh, we'll be in Philippians 3. You can turn there um, if, you've, if you've got a Bible with you. Um, I want to say, uh, first of all, that I was gone, uh, just kind of taking a quick weekend, uh, hanging out with Chris Rich. He's a church planner with Acts 29 up in um, uh, Marysville, Washington, and um, he's uh, w- one of my closest friends in the network, and so our families got to hang out, and it was very cool to worship with his church up there. Uh, the second thing that, I, that was great last week is that um, uh, Matt Baldwin, or we should call him Pastor Matt Baldwin, uh, he uh, preached last week, and then I just heard amazing things about it. I actually was able to watch part of it. I didn't get to finish it uh, this last week, but I'm planning to do so. But the thing that I have heard in regards to that sermon is that it was, it was awesome. And we didn't tell you guys this, but that's the first time that Matt has ever preached in front of the church. And so that was his first sermon. It's not the first time he gave that sermon. He gave it several times to us elders, and uh, I think his wife was tired of hearing it by the time uh, <laughs> by the time he finally gave it. But excuse me, <coughs> um, I'm so excited about that to see uh, other guys that are that are coming up and they're uh, they're taking the helm. And, and so this is fantastic stuff because if 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 this Matt dies. And I have no plans to die anytime soon, but um, if I were to die uh, or, or go away or something, that outward church is in good hands because it's not just about me, my preaching, uh, and who I am. And so you can be very thankful that we have other men uh, that can uh, take the helm and, and uh, be preaching and other men and women who are in leadership and things like that. And so, um, so this morning we're in, in Philippians chapter 3. We've been in a series, and I had totally intended to spend about two weeks on this. I don't even know how many weeks it's been now. I don't even care. Uh, we're just, I'm not even going to tell you how many verses we're going to do today because it just doesn't matter uh, how many I say we're going to do. We just end up only doing a couple and then and go on from there. But we might, we might get done with chapter 3 today, but I, I really shouldn't have even said that. But... Uh, but uh, that's, that's, that's the reality. But we're in Philippians chapter 3, and, I, I just, and uh, it, Matt taught on Philippians 4 because the plan was for me to be done by then, and he had this sermon prepped and ready, and I wasn't going to you know, jerk his chain at all. And so I, I said, listen, you just do that, and then I'll finish up 3, and then I'll skip over that when I get to it or something and, and reference it, something like that. So that's what we did. So hopefully that's not too confusing for you if it is too bad. So... Uh, uh, in any case, uh, so we're, we've been in, in the book of Philippians, and just by way of reminder, we called the series Think, and it's because uh, a lot of people talk about joy, and it's, it's very true that the book of Philippians talks about joy a lot. Um, I think sometimes when we get locked into, oh, this book is about this, and this book is about that, we never really look for anything else. And so while there is a lot of rejoice and have joy and all that type of stuff, there is this word that's repeated throughout it, which is phreneo, which means to think, or, and it's, it's, it uses several different words uh, to describe that in English, but the, the Greek word is phreneo, and the reason why that's important is because Paul is consistently telling these people, like, I want you to think differently. I want you to begin to think differently. And I, I think for our church right here and right now, like one of the things that I think we need to do is that we need to be able to think differently. We need to be awakened to the reality of the gospel again. As a Christian, uh, being awakened to the gospel is not just the beginning of the Christian life, but it's a continual process. 
And so uh, oftentimes if you're not growing, if you st- feel stagnant, if you're having doubts, if you're, you know, uh, whatever the case may be, it's oftentimes because there's a realization about the gospel that has not hit you again. There hasn't been this, this, this regular motion of uh, confession and repentance that's continually happening in your life. And so what happens is, is that when there isn't a, the, the reality of confession and re- repentance continually, there's not the understanding that I still need to grow. And so we come to this point where we th- kind of think that we have arrived spiritually. Like we've, we've come on the scene. We're, we're a part of a local church, and, and perhaps we're becoming more moral. Uh, we're, do, we're doing the right things. Uh, one of the things we're talking about as a church is that sometimes we believe that some of us, uh, we get involved in a community group at the church because that's, that's a big part of our church. And it's, it's like a box that we can check and we can say, okay, I'm a part of a community group, so I'm plugged in. And I go to church on Sunday and things like that. And so, therefore, we have all these boxes that we could check. And yet, what we really find out is that many, many times... Uh, we end up being lifeless Christians. You come into a living room and you hang out and and conversation is really difficult to get going. You've kind of heard it all before. You're sick of this person who always has the same stinking problem and you're just like, get over it or something like that. And really, and that's probably you, so sorry, you know, but uh, (laughs) I never think that, but other people do who are very sinful, but... um, but uh, that's, that's what happens is that we end up in this place where we're just kind of getting used to things. We're going through the motions. It's just like, all right, yeah, 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 we're doing this again. Okay, I come. Hey, how's it going? Yeah. Uh, and things like that. And so what we don't want is we don't want a lifeless church. We just think we should close the doors if that's the way that it is. I, I, Jesus is too important for us to be weak sauce. The cross is, is, is so critical for the life of the Christian that it would not be worth having this gathering, leasing this building, uh, all of the stuff that we're doing, if we're just lifeless people. And so we have always believed that like, if we're going to do this, let's just do it. Let's just, let's just do it. Like what, and what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, Paul says, like, your thinking's got to change about Jesus. Your thinking's got to change about how you see your life. And so from the very beginning of this passage in chapter 3, he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. There's that joy word again whatever that is, uh, to write the same things to you is no trouble uh, to me and is safe for you. And so he's, it's almost like there's a warning couched in there. And the warning is this, is that you may be somebody who's been in church all of your life, or maybe you, maybe you haven't been in church all your life, and maybe you, you began a few years ago, but like life is just kind of, you know, you're going through the motions. And he's saying that like the life in Christ is one that is rejoicing. There's this joy that's coming out of you. There's, you're not grinning like an idiot all the time. You're not laughing. Oh, somebody, 
passed away. Or is that, that's, that's not what we're talking about. It's an internal joy that comes from God and can only come from God. That when you come to difficult circumstances in life, that you can say, God, I trust you. And I trust that this is uh, for your glory. And I am going to walk with you in and through this. And so he says, it's safe for you, for me, to remind you about these things. And the safety piece, I think, is this. Is that there's many, many people who think that they have relationship with God and yet do not have relationship with God. It's rampant throughout American Christianity. It's rampant. I was just reading an article the other day that was saying that uh, the people in America who claim none... Uh, on religion surveys, who claim none, we call them the nuns, not the black flowing robes and things, but, but none as in zero, like no, no religious affiliation. Even those people in America are more spiritual and more religious than the secularist who's in Europe. Like the person who's a nun in America looks like a crazy evangelical person compared to the secularist who is in uh, Europe. In England, I believe, is where it was. Isn't that interesting that somebody could claim no religion and yet still be more religious than some other folks? So in America, what it looks like is this, is that you could be in America. You can have this ideology around us of in God we trust. One nation under God. You can have all of that. There can be this low-level residing kind of religious underpinning. There can be this moral uh, rectitude that is about your life. <laughs> and it's just because you grew up in this country. It's not because you have this incredible faith in Jesus Christ, who is the only way to God. It's simply about morality for you and I sometimes. And so we have to check ourselves. We have to test ourselves. Paul says, it is safe for you, to, uh, uh, for, you to, for me to remind you of these things. And what are the reminders? He says, if anybody thinks that they have a list of good things that they've done, I have more. He says, uh, if what it means to be a Christian is to have all of these moral qualities, well, then I was already a Christian, and I didn't need Jesus. And guess what? You and I are in the same boat. We can walk through life, we can be about life, we can do those things, we can, we can act that way, and yet we can act like we already have a relationship with God when really there's nothing there. And so it is safe for you to hear what Paul says when he says, all of that is crap. All of that stuff, all of those moral things about my life, the way that I, the way that I live, the way that I act, the way that I treat my wife, the way that I treat my husband, the way that I go about uh, morally speaking uh, in my uh, job in my profession. He says, it's loss, it's crap. It doesn't mean anything because I don't have a righteousness of my own that comes from doing what's right, from obeying the Ten Commandments. I do not have that. The measure of a Christian is not somebody who says, well, I've done this and I've done that and I've done the other thing. It is this. It is, I do not have a righteousness of my own. I am not moral in and of myself. I don't do the right things. I don't think the right things. I don't, in and of myself, I cannot act that way. I cannot walk that way. 
And so what we need is we need the gospel of Jesus Christ to come in and speak to us. And so Paul is passionately laying out. And I, I would say that like one of my favorite places, my favorite places in the scriptures to teach out of are when Paul gets incredibly passionate. When Paul gets incredibly passionate in Ephesians chapter 3 and he, and he begins to, to pray that you being uh, rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Ah! That gets me excited. I could read it over and over again. I do read it over and over again. It's, it's like amazing to me. And Paul is here, and he's speaking to you. God is speaking to you through Paul, and then also through me, because I'm reading it to you, but God's the one that's speaking here. Let's be clear. And he's saying, like, having a knowledge of me, knowing me, walking with me is passionate. It is absolutely passionate. And so that was all review. And so now we'll get into the sermon. Uh, he says... In, uh, let's see here, let's go to 14, because that's where I left off. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Where I left off two weeks ago was we're talking about how we're running a race. We're forgetting what lies behind, straining toward what lies ahead. And, he's, and Paul is envisioning a race, and he's saying, I want you to run. I don't want you to look back and see where your opponent is. I don't want you to look back and look at the sin that you committed or what was committed against you. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't resolve that, but I don't want you distracted by that. One commentator was telling a story about this race between two individuals that was widely publicized, and uh, one guy was pulling ahead, and as he was pulling ahead, he glanced back at the other runner and in that moment is where he lost the lead because he was not straining ahead, looking ahead, looking forward. He looked to his side and he lost because his focus was not there. His focus was not on his race. His focus was on all this other stuff that's going on around him. And so Paul is saying, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so what we said was this uh, from Kent Hughes is what is the upward call? He says, it is the full and complete gaining of Christ for whose sake everything else has been counted as loss. It is, it is saying everything I've done Everything I am, it is a loss. For some of us, it's easy. Yeah, I've been, I have been a loser in many ways. I've done this, I've done that. It's, it's loss. Some of us have been pretty moral. Some of us have been pretty successful. It's loss. I count it as loss, and I gain Christ. See, you can't just lose something and never put anything back in its place. You can't just lose some sinful habits and then never replace that with something with a godly habit. Because it'll just, it'll just come back. You'll replace, replace it with another idol. It's idol replacement. We'll get into that more in a little bit. He says, look at verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you 
Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Now, a couple of things I want you to see about these, this verse is let those of us who are mature. So maturity in Christ, someone who's become a disciple, like there's, there's this level of maturity that's growing. And I just, I'm, I'm, I, I'm just kind of going along with the passage this morning because I just want you to see a few things. And one of those things is, are you mature in Christ? Do you, is there a maturity about your life in Christ? Are you walking with him daily? Are you connecting with him? Have you considered the fact that you may be an immature believer? You're still on milk. You're still breastfeeding. And you are not eating the meat of the scriptures of God speaking to you. Paul says those who are pressing on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus are people who are mature. And as a result, look at the next word, mature, think this way. Freneo this way. I want you to change your mind. If you're mature, you're going to think this way. And then he says, and if, any, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also. So here's what happens is that when you begin to grow in Christ, when you, when you are walking as a regular disciple, like you're somebody who's a disciple of Jesus Christ, remember that coming to faith in Jesus Christ is not about just praying a prayer. That may have been where your, your faith began. It's not about just walking an idol. That may have been where your faith began. It's not about uh, you know, some other time, type of spiritual experience. Coming to faith in Christ is somebody who is mature in Christ. You, we don't begin there, of course. But it's somebody who is maturing, I should say. We're maturing in Christ. We're coming to know him better. We're coming to know who he is more and more and more. And as a result, what takes place is that God begins to reveal himself to you in fresh and new ways. I was in class on Friday. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. We got all kinds of people in there. We got the Holy Rollers who are, uh, you know, the uh, Pentecostals. And they, they, they've got some, they a very good friend of mine who's in there. Who's, he's in a uh, Assemblies of God church, if you're familiar with that. Great churches a lot of times. And, uh, but there's all types of people in there. But we're talking about uh, the Holy Spirit. We're talking about how God resides in you through the power of his Holy Spirit and how he can speak to you. But many of us are functional cessationists. Big, stupid word. But what it means is this, is that in reality, we believe that the Holy Spirit exists. We believe that God can speak to us. We believe that he can uh, move on our hearts. And yet, in many ways, we never participate in that. We're never waiting for God to speak to us. Or we're on the other end of the spectrum and say, you know what? God told me. God told me to whatever. God, God, God said this. It's a dangerous place to be. Because basically you're standing in, uh, in the position of someone who is a writer of Scripture oftentimes. I'm not saying every time. I'm saying a lot of times. People do not look at those in a discerning way, those statements. We should be careful when we say, God told me. We should be careful when we, when we absolutely exclaim, yeah, this is what God told me. I'm a mature person in Christ, and so therefore God can speak to me. And so he spoke to me about you, and he said that you should give me a million dollars. And uh, yeah, it's true. Me and Jesse DePlantis, uh, if you know who he is. He needs a, a new jet. Uh, by the way, I don't need one of those. But um, in any case, he's saying God will reveal himself to you. God will reveal himself to you 
as there's a maturity that's growing. It's not that he's, he's withholding himself up until that point. But you're going to be able to see God revealing himself to you. You're going to be able to hear who he is. You're, he's going to exclaim to you who Jesus is. He's going he's gonna to tell you this is, this is what your life looks like and this is what Jesus, the life of Christ, is like. And so that's, you need that implanted or supplanted in your life. You need to become more like Christ. God's going to begin to speak to you. He's going to begin to show you the way. He's going to begin to talk to you. We believe here at Outward Church that God still speaks, that the Holy Spirit is still alive and well, that the gifts of the Holy Spirit are real. God can do whatever he wants. Guess what? Because he is God, he's allowed to do that. I don't get to question that. So he says that God will reveal that to you also. He says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. He says, here's the thing. God's going to speak that to you, but this is, this is what needs to take place, is that we've got to hold true. We've got to stay on track. We've got to stay on course to the thing that we already have. We're not still striving to get there. Oh, I've got to try to get, get to it. I've got to do enough works. We've already seen that Paul says, you can't do works to get to God. That's not the way that it is. No, he's saying, your maturity comes in the reality that, number one, I know that I'm saved. I know that Jesus Christ went to the cross for me. He took on my sin. He took on my shame. He took on everything about me. And when he did that, he saved me. And I trust him for my salvation. That's what takes place. And then number two is this, is that now I walk in him. I already know that I have attained it, and now I'm going to fulfill that in my life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let us hold true to what we have attained. He says in verse 17, he says, Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So he's, he's coming into this... I, and I think it's very practical. He's coming into this thing where he's, he's saying, okay, how do we do this? How do we live this out in our life? If you haven't heard the last few sermons, I really want you to go back and listen to them. But how do we do this in our life? What's the practical outworking of this? He says, so this is part of the way that that happens. God speaks. He talks. Let's hold on to the gospel. Let's not forget that God speaks. Hold on to that. And then he says, I want you to uh, join in imitating me, that's Paul, and he's saying, I want you to imitate my life. I want, you, I want you to walk the way that I do. And then he says, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. He's saying, it's, it's me, and it's the people who walk like me, which is hopefully reflective of who Jesus is, which I believe it was in Paul's case. So here's... Here's, here's the question that we need to ask right here. Who are we imitating? Who are you imitating? In your life, whether you know it or not, you're imitating someone. You may be imitating your father. For some of us, that's a great thought. And in some aspects of our father, that is very cool, especially men here today. You're imitating your father in many ways. But in other ways, it can be very, very dangerous to imitate your earthly father, to imitate him. 
It's, 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 it's very easy for, for some of us, us, for some of you gals. Um, it's imitating your mother. It may be imitating her good qualities. It may be imitating her bad qualities. It, it may be that you have and I have been walking through life so much and so uh, unaware for so long that we've been imitating just the people around us, the world around us. And how could we not? How could we not end up imitating the world around us? When most of our time throughout the day, every waking moment, every short stint of, of a, a few seconds here or there is taken up with absorption of what's taking place in culture or absorption with what's, with what's taking place in the, the sports world or absorption with what's taking place in entertainment or what's taking place in the lives of other people around us. When every waking moment is taken up with all of those things, it leaves us no room. We talked two weeks ago just about these distractions in life. The distractions in life are the thing that keep us from pressing on. The distractions in life are the other people, the other things, the other ways. It could be our parents. It could be uh, a boss. It could be somebody that we respect. It could be a celebrity. It could be a sports uh, celebrity. It could be any number of these people, somebody significant in our life. And the question is, who are you imitating? Is this someone who's imitating Christ? Or are you just joining in with what everyone else is doing? Are you joining in with this life and imitating culture as we go along? I want to tell you right now that most of us in this room, on some level, are imitating our world, and we are not imitating Christ. We have not joined in and imitated people like the Apostle Paul. We have not joined in. It's not a thought to us because we're distracted. We're not a part of the church because we have too many things going on. We, I told you two weeks ago, you are the arbiter of what takes place in your life and in your schedule, and yet we act as though we're victims. Where I'm a victim of my schedule. I have too many things going on. And you want me to feel bad for you? Who, you, you have a calendar. You, you are an individual. You are somebody who can do this. And yet we create these calendars. We create these schedules with all of these distractions. Got a phone in our pocket that has everything imaginable on it to read, to, to, to look at, to, to, to be a part of, to soak in. And so there's no imitation of somebody who is a disciple of Jesus Christ. There's no imitation of that. We as a church are redoubling our effort in making disciples. I told you we've been talking about community groups. And because we're asking the question, are we making disciples through community groups? And the answer is yes. But are we making as many as we would like to be making? And the answer is no. And that's not on anybody else but the leadership. So we've got to lead in this way that says discipleship matters. Guess what? It is safe for you. Not because you're going to lose your salvation. Because I don't believe you can lose your salvation. I don't believe that that's what the Apostle Paul says. I don't believe that that's what Jesus teaches. But I do believe this. That you can be duped into thinking that you are a, a, a disciple when you really are not a disciple. 
defaming the name of Christ, acting like you are a Christian, and yet you are not expressing the life of Christ that God has called you to. Why? Because you're not imitating anybody. You're not imitating Jesus Christ. You're not after somebody else, looking to someone else. There's an arrogance in our culture that I know what's best, and I know how things should be. I can't tell you how many times I get into situations where, where I, I want to communicate to someone that, like, you need someone in your life to imitate. Stop trying to figure this out on your own. You, my man, are a moron. You keep making the same stupid decision. Your marriage shows that. Your financial life shows that. Stop thinking that you can figure this out. You're not imitating anybody. And what's happening in that and that lack, of, that lack of imitation, that lack of imitating another disciple. Well, look at what he says in verse 18. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Read it again. For many of whom I've often told you, I've been warning you, I've been telling you, who was he telling them about earlier in the passage? The Judaizers. These are those punks who say, you know what? It's all nice and good that Jesus went to the cross, but guess what? You still got to follow the law if you're going to be a Christian. You need to follow the law, otherwise you're not saved. That is garbage. Any church that teaches that is garbage. They should close their doors. They're wrong. Absolutely wrong. It is, it's, it's complete garbage. Those are the Judaizers. He's talking about some other, other people now too. In fact, I think it could be either one of these, these, uh, these camps. But he says, for many of whom I've often told you and now tell you even with tears, I am emotional about this. I have emotion about the fact that you may be misled by somebody who claims to be a follower of Jesus Christ and yet is not. They are an enemy of Christ. The cross of Christ. I am in tears because you may be such a disciple of this world. You're so wrapped up in your phone. You're so wrapped up in social media. You're so wrapped up in pornography. You're so wrapped up in whatever's going on in this world that you are imitating an, an, an enemy of the cross of Christ. You are. You're on the wrong team. Like you're playing for the devil. Like what is going on? I'm telling you with tears. I'm emotional about it. And he says, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, what's, now, what is that? Who are these enemies of the cross of Christ? Well, look at what he says. Their end is destruction. Now, it's not popular to talk about destruction. But destruction is hell. It is eternal separation from God. It is not going to be fun. It will not be, you know, the, the mocking uh, uh, bumper sticker that I saw years ago that said, I know hell is hot, but is it humid? As, as if to say, like, you know what, I could, I could stand the heat, but the humidity would be horrible if that's what was going on in hell. No, th their end is destruction. It's not something that people like to talk about. We make fun of preachers that, that speak that way. It's all, he's all fire and brimstone. Well, this is just in the scripture, so get over it. But uh, he says, their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. 
and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So they're going to hell. Their God is their belly. They are glorifying something that they should be ashamed of. And their minds are ultimately set. What's the biggest problem? The biggest problem is their minds are set on earthly things. Let's unpack that a little bit. Their God is their belly, first of all. What, is, what are we talking about when we talk about how their God is their belly? That is Paul saying this, that you, you may say that you do not uh, claim to follow a God, But the truth is, you do follow a God. All of humanity, every person, every individual, is a worshiper. And you, my man, you, my girl, whatever you'd say that, are a worshiper. The most obvious place that you are a worshiper of is not your physical stomach. I suppose it could be that. But it is your appetite. It is the obedience that is required by our culture toward whatever your appetite is at the moment. It's the obedience that is required that our culture says, if you do not obey your desires, if you do not go after the thing that your body says that it wants then you're lost. You're not following that God. Make your body, make your appetites, make your desires your God. Your appetite is king. Your appetite defines you as a person. People say things like, I am my sexual desires. My identity is wrapped up in who I want to have sex with. That's my identity. Their God is their belly. Their God is their appetite. My God is my appetite when that takes place. I am my work. My work consumes me. It is about me. I am about it. When my work demands something, I go after it. Why? Because my God is my appetite. My appetite is for work. I become a workaholic and I go after it. I do whatever it takes to work. My God is my family. Everything else is, is on the shelf. My work is on my shelf, is on the shelf. Everything else gets set aside. My uh, desire for God is set on the shelf for family. My uh, education is my God. My education is king. It, it's, I have an appetite for this. This is, this is what I desire. This is what I'm longing for. Their God is their belly. They're going after what they want. Look at our culture In totality, in the transgender world, those people are image bearers of God. People who struggle with their identity as a transgender person, somebody who is confused in that, in that, in that realm. It's a real thing. It happens. There is real confusion about those things. They are image bearers loved by God. But... Their God is their belly. 
Their God is their belly because instead of worshiping God, they're worshiping their own desires, their own appetites. What they don't even know and understand is that they are a victim, an unwitting victim of the fall of humanity. When Satan comes in and distracts Adam and Eve from the reality of who God is, no, you'll be fine. Do what you want. Go after your appetite. You want, the, you want the fruit that I told you to eat? Go ahead and eat it anyway because God is keeping something from you. The unwitting nature of sin and how Satan tries to distort what's going on. Their God is their belly. Their God is their desires. They glory in their shame. You are your sexuality... You are the person that you want to have sex with. That defines you. The problem with that is that when you celebrate that, that is too low of a thing to be celebrated in you. If you're, if you're celebrating the fact that you want to have sex with these types of people, that's too low of something to be celebrated in an image bearer of God. An image bearer of God is one who is created to glorify God. And we glorify God uh, in one way or another, either willingly or unwillingly. What our culture does is this. Go after your appetite and then, not only that, glory in your shame. Celebrate the fact that this is who you are. And it's not just about sex. It's glorying in the fact that you uh, have these desires. It's glorying in the fact that, oh, look at all of, all of uh, the work that I've done. All of the money that I've made. The things that I've built. The things that I've been a part of. And yet your family's in shambles. And you've had multiple affairs. And everything else is, is in a wake behind you. Relationships. Everything else. You're not a good friend. You're not a good person. You're not any of those things. Your work is your God that, because that's what your appetite desires. And then you glory in it. And people write, will write a book about you. And they'll say how amazing you are. Never knowing this. That you are simply glorying in your shame. That you are glorying and the very thing that has pulled you away from God and another God. Our culture does this all of the time. They glory in what we should be shameful about. The TV or the, the Netflix series 13 Reasons Why, I haven't seen it. I've read some articles on it. There are many people, in fact, I, I believe that I heard that it's even uh, almost outlawed in Canada or something to that effect. This, this show is talking about a young girl who ends up uh, committing suicide because, uh, to my, in my understanding, I probably have some facet of this wrong, but in my understanding, it's because she has been accused of being a slut in school. She's been accused of, of being somebody that, is, that has been promiscuous. And so the show goes through great pains to show how this girl really isn't promiscuous. And so really the reason why she uh, exacted her revenge through committing suicide is, is really wrong. Because she really wasn't somebody who was promiscuous. The problem with that is this. 
What if she really was promiscuous? Should she still have killed herself? The show goes on. And, it, and, it, and it's showing all of these difficult situations, apparently, in the second season. And it's showing these, these situations where horrific things take place, things that we shouldn't be watching. And instead of actually uh, condemning something by picturing it and showing it, they're glory, uh, glorifying something that is shameful. Unwittingly glorifying something that should act absolutely be shameful. You look at all of the different programs that have prolific uh, pornography in them. Whether it's Fifty Shades of Grey, uh, which I, again I have not seen, or Game of Thrones, which I have not seen. But yet we get wrapped up into it sometimes as a church. We say, oh, it's okay. But the problem with that is that we're glorifying what should be shameful. We, we are glorifying the desire of humanity to look to itself and say, I am the arbiter of truth. I am the one who gets to decide what should and should not be. I am the one who ultimately uh, gets to decide what my appetites should be about. I am the one who should be the one who's in charge. We're glorying in our shame. Here's the problem. Instead of imitating someone like Paul, who's a disciple of Jesus Christ, instead of imitating Christ, our God is our belly, like our culture. Culture's God is its belly. We're glorying in our shame. And guess what? It's not just the really bad people. See, even good things can become this. You care about our world? You care about poverty. You go after it. And you, and, and you work toward eliminating poverty. And you can begin to think that my justification, how I'm justified with God, is because I've taken care of people. There are so-called progressive churches that teach this kind of thing. Never get into the gospel of Jesus Christ, but teach as the gospel that you're taking care of people. It's social justice. Or it's taking care of the immigrant, which we firmly believe in taking care of immigrants. The foreigner, the sojourner, as it's said in uh, the Old Testament. Or it's doing this, or it's doing that. And here's the problem with it. Look at what he says. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. They glory in their shame with mindset on earthly things. Anytime your scope is solely limited to this world, as long as it is only set on earthly things, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction because it's only worldly. Even the good things that they do are only worldly. Their minds are set on earthly things. Their minds are set on things of this world and of this place and of this time. It never goes beyond that. It never, it never gets above that. It's never because of something else, something else greater. It's never because they want to glorify God. It's because I want to glorify self. You can do it as a housewife, someone who works at home. 
You can do it as a church member who's upstanding. You could be somebody who's a pastor. You could be somebody who is, uh, who's just a nice person. See, our God can be our belly even when we're good and moral and righteous and, and great people. Why? Because our minds are just set on earthly things. They're not set on God's things. Our, it, we have an appetite for having a good family. That family takes us away from God. We never glorify God with that family. So we glory in our shame. Our end is destruction because it's ultimately just set on earthly things. Do you see where the distractions take you? The distractions from pressing on aren't just like, uh, it's, you know, I just, I just got this and got that. The, no, distractions in life from who Jesus is may initially even keep you from coming to Christ in the first place. Having believed that you had may keep you from that. But then it keeps you and I from becoming mature Christians in Christ. From growing in maturity, from becoming a disciple, from becoming someone who's walking with Jesus, imitating others in Christ, meeting with other people and talking with, with them about what it looks like to be a believer in Jesus Christ. And so as a result, what takes place is dead, lifeless, so-called Christianity that never leads you to anything or to anywhere except to destruction. Paul says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. What's a disciple looking at? A disciple who's mature in Christ, looking for God to speak to them, looking to hear from him, imitating others who are walking with Jesus Christ. A disciple is continually looking at their life and saying, this sin, this practice, this lifestyle is a result of my appetite. That is my God in that scenario. That is who I'm following. And I must tear down that idol because I am not a citizen of Matt world. I think I am. I'm not a citizen of this world. I'm not an American. I'm not anything. I am a citizen of a coming kingdom that is in heaven. My citizenship does not belong here. It does not belong now. My allegiance is not pledged to this world, the people that I'm following. My allegiance isn't, isn't being pledged to my belly, to my appetite. My allegiance is being pledged to a king who's on a throne, who rules over his kingdom. And one day, he will return in power. It says in Revelation 6 that it's going to be horrific. 
It says in Revelation 6 this. It says, then the kings of, 6.15, then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, saying, fall on us, hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of their wrath has come. And who can stand? You're a citizen of a king who's over a kingdom, who's returning, and that king is called the lamb. And that lamb is coming in wrath. And we all think, oh, he's such a beautiful lamb. He's got a nice, beautiful coat, just nice and white, and just I just want to pet him or whatever. But that lamb is coming back. And he's coming back in wrath. You want fire and brimstone? You got it. That lamb is coming back. And people are going to look at the lamb, and they're going to say, I want out. I want to be done. Hey, rock, fall on me so that I don't have to go through what's coming from that lamb in this time. Which king are you following? Is your belly king? Is your appetite king? Or is the king of kings your king? Is the king of kings who's returning, not just in wrath, but when he destroys evil, when he destroys evil, Satan, sin, death, he locks them up eternally. There will be a new heavens and a new earth, the new Jerusalem that comes down out of the sky. And it says in Revelation 21, it says 21.3, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. If your God is your belly, if that is the ethic that you live by, your end is destruction if you have not received Jesus Christ. But if you have received Jesus Christ, you do not need to fear the wrath of the Lamb, and you can look forward to your citizenship in this new heavens and this new earth to be with Jesus forever. And the, the, the visible sign of that is this, that my hope is not in my works. It is not in what I physically can do. It is alone in Jesus Christ. Because my God is not my belly, Jesus is my God. Jesus has made me new. He has given me his righteousness. And I have none of my own. And so therefore, what I want in life is no longer, I want to continually be looking at my life saying, that is me making my belly my God. It's glorifying what I should be shameful of. It is looking towards earthly things instead of looking to Jesus as my God. And so what do you do in that moment? What do you do in that moment when you realize that thing has been my God? That addiction has been my God. That a habit has been my God. That uh, this money has been my God. 
what do you do? Well, if you're a believer, you say this. You say, God, I know that you can reveal to me what needs to take place, but I need to confess and repent that I have made something else my God. I have been worshiping an idol that is not you. And God, I want to be released from that. I want to move on from that. I'm tired of making my family my God. I'm tired of making my work my God. I'm tired of making sex my God. I'm tired of making my sexuality my God. I'm tired of making my gender my God. I'm tired of making church my God. I'm tired of making fill in the blank. And God, I want you to be my God. I want you to be my king. I want to be a citizen of the king of kings and the Lord of lords because you rule and because you reign and I want you to rule and reign in my life. Maturity comes from thinking this way. Can you think this way? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I think there's so many of us in this in this room here that could read Paul's passage right now, such as myself, and say, "Man, I I, I just see areas in, in in my life where I've I've made my God my belly, or if I've I've made that my appetite, and I must see that that is the way that an enemy of the cross of Christ operates." So, Lord, many of us have have already received you by faith, and yet we continue in this lifestyle sometimes. As American Christians, we believe that we can just continue doing whatever we want, when in reality, God, you have so much more for us. So, Lord, would you you speak to us? Lord, would you point out areas of our life where where we need change, where we need adjustment? Lord, there's many of us in this room that just, that we need to imitate someone else because it's clearly not working with us, or perhaps we look moral and we look good, but we're not imitating someone that's passionate. We're just imitating ourselves or doing what we want. God, give us passionate people to imitate. Would Would you do that for us? God, would you make us disciples? Lord, I'm praying specifically for Outward Church. Lord, would you multiply the disciples at Outward Church who are sold out and passionate for you? Lord, make me one of those. Make me a passionate disciple in every area of my life. Lord, I want to follow you. I want, I want to live for you. Lord, may that be our prayer. May there be a thousand disciples in this place that are not concerned about our, our health or, or, or our finances or uh, those kinds of things because you've already taken care of those things. But Lord, we're concerned for your fame and your glory to be spread throughout all of Salem, Oregon and surrounding areas and to the ends of the earth. Lord, would you, would you make us passionate? Would you cause that to be our prayer? Lord, work in us. Would you work revival in our hearts because you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Lord, convict us this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.